Yeah, it's my first time here ever on the pulpit. And I actually want to make it a bit more formal, but my weight loss program is not working well, so I can't wear a suit. So nevertheless, here I am. And uh, as you heard also from the prayer request, kindly give a small prayer for me because, uh, because of my throat. Uh, I developed some kind of sore throat because of uh, being under the rain and eating the wrong foods. Um, so yeah, so uh, before we go, let's us uh, bow our hands in prayer. Uh, dear Holy Father, we are so grateful for the Sabbath day where you brought us here to church to worship you and to be amongst our brothers and sisters. As you are going into the Word, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be amongst us and in me, that we understand what it is that you want us to know today. Hide me behind the cross, let only your glory be shown. It's our prayer in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, so the topic, uh, the topic today is called The Chosen One. So, a little bit something about me. I have an interest in history, like, um, not really like a huge history uh, geek or enthusiast, but I like to read about history. Like sometimes uh, you ask people close to me, they say, hey, what is Gabriel reading on his phone? They'll be, oh, he's probably reading about history and all that, this and that. So yeah, but I do not remember the exact dates. You ask me, oh, what happened at this date, this date? I I will not know, but I like to read about history. Like, because it's interesting of how, it's interesting to me of how the world events are formed like the formation of civilization, of society, how one thing led to another, like, for example, the accounts of the Roman Empire, the rise and fall of the European kingdoms, and the events of the World War, and so on and so forth. Most of these events shaped the world as we are now today. And amongst the, the, the pages of history, there seems to be some men who have singly shaped the world by their own hands. Like, for example, we have, like, uh, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Napoleon, Gadjis Khan, and so on and so forth. These are very prime men of that time. They are all, co- all conquering. And throughout, I thought it was by their own efforts. Like, for example, Alexander, he uh, briefly, he from Greece, conquered all the way to India. Um, Caesar expanded the Roman borders and turned it into an empire. Napoleon almost united all the European states. So these men were the very cream of the crop of their generation. They're very prime men. They have huge charisma. They have very sharp intellect on how to strategize and how to, to win battles and all that. But until I come, came across this verse, in Daniel 2.21, it says here, and he changes... Sorry, excuse me. Uh, pray for me, please. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removed kings and set up, up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. So what caught my attention here was that he removed kings and set up kings. At the end, it seems to imply that God determines who should stay and who should not. Like It seems to imply also that the men that we have known in history aren't there solely by their own efforts. Well, Let's study deeper. So in Daniel 2, a little bit background. So um, some of the Israelites were held captive and they were brought from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon. So uh, in it, that's Daniel and his friends, quite popular story. So in Daniel 2, we're not going to turn into that, I'm just going to go through. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and was struggling to remember what his dream was all about. So he called all the wise men his astrologers, his magicians, his Chaldeans, and so on and so forth, 
to help him remember the dream that he has forgotten. So long story short, they cannot, rem- they cannot help the king to remember the dream. The king was angry and wanted to kill all of them. So the- Daniel heard the news and he prayed together with his friends. And soon God gave him the revel- revelation and Daniel revealed the revelation uh, to the king and interpreted the dream. So briefly, the dream was about a metal man, which most of us are quite familiar, like the head of gold, chest of silver, and so on and so forth. But we're not going much into today. We are wondering about the setting up and the removing of kings. So in the pen of inspiration in Prophets and Kings, uh, 499 paragraph 4, in the annals of human history, the growth of nations, the rise and fall of empires appear as if dependent on the will and powers of man. The shaping of events seem, to a great degree, to be determined by his power, ambition, or caprice. But in the word of God, the curtains is drawn aside, and we behold above, behind, and through all the play and counterplay of human interests and power and passions, the agencies of the all-merciful one, silently, patiently working out the counsels of his own will. It seems to imply that God is behind the scenes pulling the strings. Like he is there behind this great man, setting them up and removing them to fulfill his will, to play a part in his will. So it seems that God has a plan for each and every one of us. He has a particular blueprint that he will want us to follow. We often think that it's man of power and influence were placed in, were placed in high, such high places by their own efforts. But it's because God has allowed them and blessed them with certain set of skills and gifts that they may, pay, that they may play a part in God's will and plan. So here we know that God has a plan in store for us. Men may do as much as they may. They may plan as much as they can. But God directs their paths. God places men where they are and He has a purpose for it. God has chosen a purpose for us in the life that we're living. Let's go to another example. In Daniel 3, the fire furnace. It's a very popular story, especially in kids' story. So, after the revelation that Daniel gave to King Nebuchadnezzar, um, the revelation made a very deep impression on the king. And we will see the results in the next few verses. In Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof of six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent together together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the province to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar, the king, has set up. So you see, the king here is setting up uh, an image based on the revelation, on the dream that it was that he had. So we go into the next few, uh, jump to the next few verses, eleven and twelve. And whoso whoso falleth not down and worshippeth, <coughs> then he should be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abnego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee; they serve not thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So basically, the king has set up a golden image and he wants everybody to worship. Those who do not worship will be thrown into the fiery furnace. 
And in there, we can see three names are mentioned. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are Hebrew boys taken captive from Jerusalem. Like they were brought from Jerusalem and put into Babylon. Let's imagine like you're taken away from your hometown and brought to another country and you're forced to work for that another country. So it was for them, it was not a very comfortable feeling. It's a quite a difficult time. Imagine you going for studies or going for work out of your state, out of your place where you're from. It's not a very comfortable feeling at, at first. And it definitely is not a very comfortable feeling for them now, especially when they're facing death. But they are, they are set there for a purpose. They are set there to set an example. They were there that so God can work through them and, and that they may reach to the king, that they may witness to the king. Again, in the pen of inspiration, it says that uh, the words, Thou art this head of gold, had made a deep impression upon the ruler's mind. The wise men of his realm, taking advantage of this and of his return to idolatry, proposed that he made an image similar to the one seen in his dream and set it up where all might behold the head of gold which had been interpreted as representing his kingdom. So the king was pleased with the flattering suggestion. He determined to carry it out and to go even further. Instead of reproducing the image as he had seen, he would excel the original. His image should not deter it in value from the head to feet, but should be entirely of gold, symbolic throughout of Babylon as an eternal, indestructible, all-powerful kingdom which should break in pieces all the other kingdoms and stand forever. So the reason why he built his statue all in gold is because it represents Babylon as an eternal kingdom. It was, it was filled up with pride because of the suggestions of his counselors, and it was full of himself, you can say, and he wants everybody to worship that. So the, the image is already built, the statue is already built, and the music was played. So when music is played, people are to worship and to bow down to the image. When the three Hebrew boys did not, the king was fierce and sent them into the fiery furnace. Oh, sorry. So in the verses uh, 23 and 25, in Daniel, uh, Daniel 3, in the same chapter, and this man, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished, and rose up in haste and spake, and said unto his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? Then answered and said unto the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. But amazingly, as we can see, not only they were burnt not burnt a single bit, there also seems to be a fourth person in there too. So King Nebuchadnezzar, realizing the power of the God of the Hebrews, he thus made, make a decree throughout the kingdom about the God that saved them from the fire furnace. So we can see in verse 29, the decree was stated there. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abnego, shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver this sword. And we see in the pen of inspiration, it says that, In this, unlike the words of the king of Babylon, endeavored to spread abroad before all the peoples of the earth, his conviction, and the power and authority of God 
of the Hebrews was worthy of supreme adoration. And God was pleased with the effort of the king to show him reverence and to make royal confession of allegiance as widespread as was the Babylonian realm. We too, sometimes our purpose is that we are placed in a, in a position or situation to witness, like, like Daniel and his friends. We might have our fiery furnace experience where we might receive trials by fire. We may not necessarily be placed in the position of death or getting thrown into a fire furnace, but we will have our times where we are put into situations, circumstances, or difficulties so that God can work through us as how he has worked through the Hebrew boys. Each of us are placed, were placed or to be placed in a position of witness in your time. Just as how we can see Daniel and his friends were placed in the Babylonian Empire to witness for God in front of the hidden king. It was not solely about our own efforts where we are placed where we are at. It's because God is behind the scenes, pulling the strings, and He's trusted us and placed us in a position where we can fulfill His purpose, where we can witness to others. Sometimes we might face our trials. Sometimes it's difficult. Like Sometimes we might get fired from a job because we want to stand up for God. Or sometimes we might fail or pass this class because we do not attend a Saturday class or Saturday exam. Sometimes we may disobey a parent because he doesn't like, they don't like us going to church. The life of a Christian is often a life of perseverance and endurance. The stories of the Hebrew boys, it was not an easygoing story. They were taken out of their home and they were placed in a foreign land, forced to work, I mean, placed on foreign land, forced to work for their government. They, face, they often face a life of difficulty and life and death, as we can see. Like, you couldn't interpret the dream, you're killed. You, you don't want to bow down a statue, you're burned. These examples in the Bible isn't without the experience of perseverance and endurance in the face of hardship and persecution. We often hear stories of people overcoming, and it encourages us a lot. It motivates us, like sometimes like, you know, Jem Custer tells his testimony, or any missionary, or anybody who has a great story to tell. It motivates us a lot. But we need to make that kind of stories, even in our normal lives. We need to have our own testimonies. But when we are facing difficulties, like, you know, as I said, when you're losing a job, when you're about to fail a class, or maybe fail a semester, or our parents is coming down hard on us, it is hard to stand firm, stand straight for our convictions. How do we do it? How do the Hebrew boys do it? How do the Bible heroes do it? And it seems throughout the Bible, it's always repeated throughout. There's a certain formula that's always repeated, and it seems to be reliant Reliance on the Word of God. Like, we all have come to know Joshua, the son of Nun. He is the leader of the Israelites and the commander of the army that take away, no, that take, that conquered the promised land. We seem as bold, strong, courageous, and fearless. But do we realize that he was probably very scared before he took up the role? That he was probably very nervous when he was chosen as the new leader of the Israelites. Let, let, let's look to the verses in Joshua 1. Okay, 6, 7, and 9. In 6 it says that, Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shall thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto the fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, 
that thou mayest observe to do according to, the, to all lo- the law, which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand, to the left, that thou mayest prosper, whithersoever thou goest. Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God, for the Lord is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. So, do you guys notice anything throughout these three verses? What was repeated? Be strong and of a good courage. Be strong and of a good courage. Only be thou strong and very courageous. Be strong and of a good courage. It seems to imply that Joshua had doubts that God had to reassure him three times in this very short passage of text. Be strong and of a good courage. But we know that what happens after he has received godly assurance and, and have faith in the word of God. At the end, we can see Joshua leading the whole army of Israel and the whole nation of Israel and enter into the promised land and taking it, conquering it. The same can happen for us. The same assurance can happen for us. In the times of hardship and trial, where doubt may arise and our confidence is low, like Joshua at first, know that God is always with us by our side, no matter where we go. We only have to be strong and courageous we only have to take hold of the promise given by God. We have to take hold of God on His word that He'll be there for us to fulfill the promise that is given by God. We would just need only to trust in His word and take hold of the promises, believing and expecting God to do as He says. And it's an experience. Um, many years back, around like five, four or five years, back when I was in Penang, I was in college. I was taking my diploma in computer engineering. So at that time, I was fairly active in school still. Like, I would like to join this activity, that activity. I like to participate. So there was this... Um, so one of the more active uh, activities was done by the student council. So I joined my college's student council. So I joined the activities, go for offering ages, and, and just take part here and there. And soon enough, election came, like, to elect the new student council board. And I was interested, like, you know, at that time I was, like, very active, like, you know, I want to take part in it, this and that. So I look at the list of positions to take. Uh, I see, like, okay, secretary, nah, I don't really keep records. Treasurer, nah, I'm very bad at money. Then the rest, I look out, it doesn't really what I, doesn't have any position that I, what, that I would want. Then the only thing left is chairman, which is, you know, I mean, I don't mind leading, but I don't want to be the main person to lead. Then I look at the people lining up for chairman, like write the name of chairman. Wow, there are 10 people. Huh? So I was thinking, like, I don't mind, I don't mind leading, but I don't want to be the main person. Ma. But since there are 10 people, so the chances of you getting chairman is lower. Right? So okay, la. it's like, I don't mind being a deputy, I don't mind being an assistant, I don't mind being a vice. So I write down my name. La. So I thought like, you know, because I see other people who are more active and all that. So I was like, okay, my chances of getting chairman is very low, not bad. So I submitted my name. So, and lo and behold, after the election, it turns out I have the highest votes. So at the end, I became a chairman. At first, I was like, oh, not bad, la, chairman. But at the end, I know that being a chairman of a student council is a very stressful thing. Like, you have to deal with students, you have to deal with uh, lecturers, you have to deal with the management. And... And it seems throughout my tenure as a chairman, I have a very fuzzy and emotional uh, deputy. 
he always has a lot of mood swings on it. Every time he has to defuse the fire, every time he says something wrong or do something bad. And also I have a, a lecturer advisor who tries to take control of my student council, who tries to run it for herself. And also I have very non-committed committed, uh, committee members. And I have a very disinterested student body. Like no matter what events we put out there, the turnout is always very low. So throughout that time, it was very stressful. Like, like sometimes my, my, my deputy would talk bad about me. Sometimes my, my lecturer would like, would like, like, like run events without me knowing. And sometimes people just don't turn up when you ask them to turn up. So it was like, it was for a whole year, almost every week, every day, I have to face this kind of thing. Like I have to skip classes. I have to, to, to sacrifice, go somewhere else to get some stuff just for the sake of the student council. And it was a very tough time. And often in the shower room, I would like shower and then I was like, God, why me? La? Why, why is me the one having to face all this? Why is, why is me the one like going through all these trials in this student council? I mean, it's probably my fault that I put my name first in the first place. But I keep asking God, why, you know? Why can't it just be something smooth, smoother? Why, why I can't have like a more temperate uh, deputy or more committed members? But somehow, something is reassuring me that all this is happening for a reason. So soon enough, my tenure ended. I was very relieved, lah, you know, like, oh, finally get to get this done with from this very stressful experience. Then at a time when I was in church, um, suddenly there, I, I have a friend who backslided and suddenly he came back with his family. And I was like, oh yeah, I mean, I was surprised, lah, but I was happy and he came back to church. But I didn't ask much. And after some time, I found out one of the reasons why he came back to church is that one day, um, his school had a field trip to my college. And while he was walking around, and he, wants, and he saw a vending machine and he wanted to go to the vending machine. And beside the vending machine was a notice board. So he walked to the vending machine and looked at the notice board. And on the notice board was my face there as student council chairman. Then it's like, then for some weird reason, it brought him back to church. Like, when you see my face, you remind me, oh, yeah, Gabriel's from church, huh? Then this and that. Then, soon enough, I don't know what led, I don't know what led, I don't know what thing led to another, but he, he said that that was one of the reasons why I came back to church, because he saw my face there, and he knows that I'm from church. <laughs> yeah. Then, after a couple years later, he was baptized along with his family, and they're serving strong in the ministries in church. So, brothers and sisters, we are called for a purpose, we are chosen for a purpose to fulfill. God has chosen each and one, every one of us, and He has a plan for us that He wants us to fulfill. At times, God puts us in difficult places that will be challenging, that will be stressful, that will be painful. We might not have the same death decree or fiery furnace experience like the Hebrew boys, but there's a reason to behind every hardship that we have. There's a reason behind every experience that we might gain. That that at the end, we may witness to other people, that we may bring others back to Christ, or that we may, that we may lead people back to God. So even for me, even the student council experience was indeed stressful, but as soon as I heard the story of my brother coming back to Christ, because, partly because he saw my face, it's all worth it. Like sometimes we may have different experiences, we may have different situations, circumstances, but do not look down on the situation that you are in. More often than not, you are placed there for a reason. That God put you there so that you may witness to a person, be it directly or indirectly. 
that you may touch the soul because of how you are in Christ or because how you conduct yourself. Like in times of hardship, look to Daniel when he's facing the king. Look to his friends when they're in the fire furnace. If they do not hold on, if they do not stand firm, there will be no book of Daniel, so to speak. King Nebuchadnezzar will not be converted. Like if maybe, if maybe I have quit the student council, maybe my friend, you know, would not have seen my face. But we see, we should not look down upon the trials or the times that we have. Take it as an opportunity that we may, we may evangelize, we may reach out to people, that we may witness to other people of Christ. It may be hard, yes. It may be, it may be difficult. But at the end, when we see someone coming back to Christ, when we see someone getting to know more about God just because of our involvement in something or just because maybe our face is there or just because we have interacted with them, they have seen the character of Christ just a bit. They 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 have seen the glory of Christ just a bit. We are all called. We are all the chosen ones for a very set purpose that God has called us. God has put us in a particular place in a certain set of circumstances. God sets up kings and removes kings. God sets us up in the places where we may reach out to people, that we may fulfill His will. Like, when God sets us there, expect that He will give us all the help that we need in blessing, strength, courage, friends, or just about anything. We just need to endure to the end of our very own fireyfulness because we may not know who may be touched by the love of Christ, who may be touched by glory of Christ. There may be even the slightest chance just because we endure to the end that someone gets to know Christ. Yeah. Let us pray. Our dear Father, as we have gone through the experience of the Hebrew boys, and we know that in due time, or maybe now, they are experiencing a tough time. Help us to persevere through. Help us to take hold of your promises that you're always there with us and that you are there to to guide us through. Help us to be strong and courageous. Help us to hold on to the very end. That at the end of our hardship, in the midst of it, maybe one soul may be touched by your grace. Thank you so much for your blessings. This is our name. Amen.